Hey friends, Mark James, it's Wednesday the 17th of January, we're halfway through the month and we are back, back on form, back in the right time slot and uh, back to telling, back to talking more shit I guess. <laughs> Today I've got to fill you in on all of the things that happen on the rest of the cruise, I will not be skipping or missing that, this week we finish talking about the cruise ship, which means I'm going to have to think of some new shit to talk about. But I'm sure some new shit is going to happen because I'm doing a lecture tonight in Wolverhampton. I'm doing a Zoom lecture tomorrow, which I was slightly, I wouldn't say press ganged into, but I agreed to it before I knew there was no fee. (laughs) So I'm doing a one hour online lecture for free. But, you know, all good things come to those who... um, do good things or whatever. Sarah's away in Croydon this week working. She's doing ever so well. She is off in Croydon helping with the opening. Well, the store's open, but she's helping with the transition opening thing. Basically, you know, supporting a new team as they learn to do things that her store do already, essentially. She's down there at the store. It's in a nice shopping centre. She's in a Premier Inn all week, which is not exactly a luxury accommodation, but it's not too bad. And she's having a nice time, I believe. I mean, she's got a bit of free time. It's really weird. She's off tomorrow, so she's going to do something tomorrow, going to London or something like that. It's so strange to be in the position of... Sarah being away and me being at home, usually when Sarah and I are apart, which, as you know, hurts my heart very deeply. But when Sarah and I are apart, it's usually because I'm away and she's at home. So I'm ringing her up all the time, like, oh, I'm bored. What what are you doing? Do you want to talk to me? What's happening at home? She's just away getting on with the thing and I'm ringing her going, I'm bored. I'm at home. What do I do? And actually, I've found plenty of stuff to do. You know, I'm getting this podcast done for a start. I've been reading books. I've been uh, playing Call of Duty with my friend. (laughs) Just generally being incredibly productive. Trying to keep Joshua's Tamagotchi alive. Joshua got a Tamagotchi for Christmas, which is a very old school gift. I mean, I had one when I was a kid. And he's basically got the same one that I had, official Tamagotchi. I tell you what, I never realised when I was a kid... Because I don't suppose I really had anything that had a lit up screen. But, you know, my Game Boy, the screen wasn't lit up. It was quite big, of course, so it was workable. And I generally played with the lights on. But you're so used to the screens on items that you have lighting up that when they don't light up, it's really awkward. And it's incredibly difficult to see the screen on the Tamagotchi because it's just a plain old LCD, you know, little black bits on whatever colour the LCD is like almost greenish, a greenish hue of grey. Anyway, you can't see the thing. You have to shine the light from your torch to see what the Tamagotchi is up to. It's very awkward. Anyway, last night Joshua was fuming because it kept beeping. And I said to him, well, you've only just, we've only just turned it on. You know, when you get an item like that and you have to sort of pull out the little bit of plastic that allows the battery to connect with the internal compartments and boom the thing springs to life so at first it was just an egg it was an egg for about half an hour and then it made a noise and it stopped being an egg and it started being a blob and I said to him this is very much reminds me of when you were born (laughs) and he said well I didn't come out of an egg and I said no that's true I suppose anyway he um He had this blob that he had to feed and play with and all that. And then two minutes later, it's starving again and it wants feeding again and it needs playing with. And I said to him, it's because it's just a little blob. It's a baby. It needs a lot of attention. This is what you were like. You wanted feeding all the time and were very unpredictable. Once it transforms out of being a little baby blob, it'll start being something else and it'll be a bit more chill when it comes to its requirements. So he said, all right, fine. And that true to form, about two hours later, that did happen. The Tamagotchi ascended into being a slightly larger and not coloured in blob. So it looks a little bit different, but he's still played games with it and fed it. And then this morning I've heard it beep. So I've gone down and I've fed it and I've played games with it and stuff, which you can do on the little buttons. And uh, the Tamagotchi is alive. So... That's where we're at at the minute. That's where we're at with this thing. He's got a Tamagotchi. It's very retro. I've got very into retro recently. I bought some yo-yos recently. I've played with them quite a bit. I'm drinking a cup of tea, by the way, out of one of the 
official merch, uh, Wonders Mugs, which, as you know, came from Funky Pigeon. And that leads me on to my next topic, which is that uh, I won. (laughs) I'm going to tell you what happened. So you all know the most recent updates with Funky Pigeon, of course. I was, you know, kicking off and they were saying, uh, we'll happily give you uh, £10 or to, you know, onto your Funky Pigeon account so that you can use it in future. And I'd said, this is ridiculous and all of that sort of stuff. And anyway, I, I sent a reply. Now, I hadn't told you, last time I mentioned Funky Pigeon, which was over two weeks ago, I hadn't replied until last week's podcast. And then I forgot to mention it on last week's podcast, but I had replied. And then I hadn't actually received a, a reply until this morning. And then I resent what I'd sent and just said, hey, Jeff, haven't had a reply. It's been over a week. Please, can you update? Uh, Previous message reattached, and I sent the previous message again, and then I got a reply within an hour, and I'll tell you what happened. So, (laughs) you may remember that Robin, which is, you know, of course, the name of a bird, uh, had passed me on to Jeff, which is not the name of a bird, but Jeff is the Customer happiness, uh, is he the, the one guy was senior customer happiness and then Jeff was the customer happiness manager. So Jeff is the gaffer. Anyway, I got passed on to him and he'd said he couldn't do this and he couldn't do that. And I decided I was going to send 8 million emails if that's what it took. And so this is the email that I sent. Hello, Jeff. Having spoken to Robin and the company being called Funky Pigeon, I had hoped that you all had avian-based names. As there is no Jeff Bird, I'm guessing not. (laughs) Actually, there is a Jeff Bird, but he's a jazz multi-instrumentalist whose website describes him as a fearless explorer of the sonic and visual landscape. It doesn't mention any tenure as a customer happiness manager at Funky Pigeon, so I'm going to assume you're different people. If this is incorrect, please let me know. (laughs) It's so stupid, isn't it? It's so stupid. Anyway, that aside, yes, you're right. I was offered a free card code, an offer so riddled with caveats and time constraints as to be almost useless and certainly without any value. Your offer of £10 for my Funky Pigeon account is not really up to scratch either. I can't see myself using this service again readily in future. I'm once bitten, twice shy. Could you instead add the £10 to my Starbucks account? They're by no means perfect, but they haven't made me jump through any of the hoops that you have. I mean, once when I ordered a Quadrino Octuple Frap from the secret menu, the barista looked at me like John Travolta had just walked in and done the splits on the counter, but they made my drink nonetheless, and I was on my way. Failing that... I see you also apologised. As you work in customer service, brackets, or happiness, as Funky Pigeon have decided to rename it, close brackets, I assume that you have the phrase, I'm very sorry about that, set up as a hotkey, or at very least, a copy and paste. All is to say, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you are sorry. If you are really sorry, send me a video of you and Robin doing the floss or the Fortnite dance and we'll call it even. Upon reply, I will process my forgiveness for you. I look forward to hearing you or receiving a full refund. <laughs> I've really missed a trick here because I should have signed off Mark representative of the customer unhappiness team. But you know what? I wasn't firing all all cylinders when I sent this clearly. But nonetheless, I think it was a pretty funny email. Anyway, they didn't reply. A week went by. I sent it again and reattached that. And I got this email back. (laughs) Hi, Mark. I have refunded £20 back to your original payment method, Brackets, Apple Pay. This may take three to five working days to be processed. If you still require assistance, please get back to me. Thanks, Jeff, Customer Happiness Manager. (laughs) I won. I beat the funky pigeon. I battered them down. I eventually talked them into giving me my own way in a very childish way. And um, I won. I got my money back. 
which is funny considering I'm currently drinking out of one of the four mugs that they sent me, two of which were useless and two of which were fine. But I did have a bit of a cob on about how long they took to come. But as I read you that, I'm drinking tea out of one of those mugs right now. And if I've learned anything about dealing with customer service, it's that ultimately, if you become so annoying and never, ever give up, they will just eventually acquiesce and give you whatever it is you ask for because it just becomes easier. This guy has just decided about me. Whoever this arsehole is who's writing to me constantly from Preston and talking about John Travolta jumping up on the counter in the um, Starbucks and whatever other shit he's got to say, whoever he is, he's clearly enjoying this and he's not going to give up. And I, as a customer service representative, can't just stop replying. They literally cannot do that. I don't think they're allowed to just cease contact and stop replying to your emails. So the more and more ridiculous you become, the more and more forced they have to be to either join in with your game or try to treat what you're saying as completely serious. And in the end, he decided it's not worth it. I'm just going to send the guy his money back. So the question is, <laughs> do I send another reply or do I just leave it where it is? Because I did think it was funny when I asked him and Robin to do the Fortnite dance. And I think if I could got, got them to do that, I should have said, Jeff, I just want to apologize. Maybe something along the lines of, I was very insensitive the way that I asked you and Robin to do the Fortnite dance or the floss. I forgot you work for Punk Funky Pigeon. Perhaps you could do the chicken instead. The funky chicken. Or are funky chickens and funky pigeons never to be discussed in the same sentence? It's all very cloak and dagger in the animal, bird, sanctuary, aviary world of uh, customer service and greeting cards, seasonal. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm on about anymore. I think there might be something extra in this tea. I feel a bit lightheaded. But to be honest, it's just from beating down, finally beating down the mean-spirited people at Funky Pigeon. Of course, they're not mean-spirited. They're probably lovely. And I guarantee that this story, uh, this Jeff guy has minimum screenshotted my emails and showed them to someone who he lives with, if not all of his pals in the pub. I hope I'm on some sort of tosspot wall of fame for correspondence because otherwise it won't seem worth it. But right now it does seem worth it. I mean, I've got my money back, but um, what else can I achieve? What else am I capable of if I could do that? What else can I do? There's no telling, is there? So anyway, let's get on to what happened on the ship. Because if I babble too much in the early stage, I don't end up with enough time to truly talk to you about what's gone on in the thing that I'm supposed to be talking about. So... We're currently 13 minutes in. I've got the notes. I'm still drinking my brew. Let's talk about what happened. So the next day on the ship, which was actually the um, third day of the ship. day Well, day one, we got on and boarded. Day two, we sailed and I did my first two shows. Day three, we were in Thailand. Day four, I suppose this is. Day four. Yeah, three sleeps, day four, is a sea day, day. And it's going to be my show again. Now, on these ships, you do a late show. You do, a t you do your first show, your first 45-minute show, twice. So every passenger basically gets the chance to see it. And then on another random night, you do a late show of 30 minutes, but it doesn't start until 11.30 at night. 11.30 at night. Now, bear in mind, some of the buses are leaving the next morning on tours to various places around Vietnam. Some of these buses are leaving at 6.30 in the morning. So the idea that people are going to be in my show until midnight, even later, and then go back to their rooms and then get up again and be on a bus six hours later is just ludicrous to me. And it proved to be correct. And to be fair, the cruise director copped for it as well. And he went, I wouldn't expect your late show to be busy because of the tours and the way that the schedule's working out. It's just not going to be. It's not going to be rammed. God, was it not rammed. It was absolutely dead. I mean, it wasn't impossibly dead. I still did the show, but it was quiet. It was really quiet. And 
sometimes you can take that as a bit of a representation that you didn't do very well. You know, sometimes that can be like, oh, maybe nobody liked the show. But I knew that that wasn't true. And I've seen the report. The cruise director gave me a 10 out of 10, to be fair to him. So that was very kind. But um, sometimes you can feel that way about it. But I didn't because I knew the reality of it. And also the day before, the day that we'd gotten back on the boat in uh, Thailand, I had gone to watch the crew show, of course. And I think I told you already that the crew show was absolutely dead. And the crew show is easily, without any question, the most supported show on the ship. The passengers absolutely love to see the crew members playing guitars, singing, dancing. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff happens. Sometimes you get like a Lady Boys of Bangkok kind of act going on and five or six of the deck boys will be dressed up as women. And I don't mean like, cosplay i mean that they really do that anyway it just you know i mean it seems that there are a higher percentage of what they term lady boys in thailand than anywhere else and so when a lot of the crew are from the philippines and thailand and places like that it's unsurprising that a higher percentage of the crew will do that as well but they certainly do it to get in the crew show and don't forget the crew get paid extra for being in the crew show they get paid like a performance fee for being in it and so they should of course but uh, they do get paid extra so it's usually quite hotly contested trying to get in that show but but nearly always that kind of act will be the closer because it's very difficult to follow with uh, 12 courses of hallelujah by jeff beck on the guitar which i've sat through before but anyway the crew show is usually quite good a lot of the team and crew members are very talented and one of them by the way um uh, rainier was the assistant stage manager and he came out and sang and honestly it was absolutely unbelievable i mean really really spectacularly good his voice was incredible but that show was dead as well that show had less than 100 people in it and so i wasn't surprised when mine was similar it was very difficult going on for a small amount of people in a 700 seat room (laughs) but you know what I did all right. And actually, I tried a new thing. I've got some material that I've been doing, obviously, for years. I've been doing this thing where you take a uh, a spoon and you tell the audience that you can put the spoon in your mouth and you can turn it over using your tongue. And what you do is you put it in your mouth and then the spoon visibly turns over, you know, with the bowl in your mouth. And then the audience might clap, but then when you pull it out of your mouth, it's now a fork. The spoon has become a fork. Then you reach back into your pocket or whatever and um, take out now the spoon. But then I take off my glasses and I use the spoon to sort of gouge out my eye. So there's like an eyeball on the spoon and it looks like it's come off my eye. And then I put it back in and those two things go away. So I've been doing that as a little sight gag. And then I've also obviously got a thing where I swallow a modelling balloon. You know, you blow up a long modelling balloon and then you swallow that and um, that's a bit in and of itself. And then, of course, I do uh, sideshow things like hammering a nail up my nose and then fire eating and all that sort of stuff. What I've done is I've turned all of that into a singular kind of seven or eight minute routine. So it's in its own box. I sit down on the edge of the stage. The sideshow music plays. I tell the story about the sideshow and all of those kind of weird people and freaks and etc. And um It's been a really nice little bit. I tried it for that first time in that show and I dare say it killed and it felt really good gluing those things together. Just sitting on the front edge of the stage, opening that little box next to me and just taking out the stuff and doing the bits one at a time. I really enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was a nice little nice little piece all put together. And I decided to give it a try in that late show because I knew it was going to be very low pressure. I knew that, you know, I didn't have to worry about losing the audience. The only thing I had to worry about losing the audience to was sleep and that was going to happen whether it happens or not. So, um, yeah, that's what I did and I liked it a lot. I also fasted that day for the second time. I've fallen off since getting home, of course, but I did fast on the ship that day. Sarah was really loving the sun and the pina coladas. Things were going very, very well. And then the next day, we get to Vietnam. And this is where things take a turn that is just 
too much. It was too hot. The humidity was like nothing I've ever experienced before in my whole life. It was brutal. It was off the chain, insane, crazy, too hot, sweltering, boiling, not fun. I mean, I still loved it. and We had a lovely time, but it was just too hot. So we get there and uh, the tour guide is called Quan. Now, Again, he does the thing and says, probably you're not going to be able to say my name. I mean, I don't think Quan is a very difficult name to say, but he said, you're probably not going to be able to pronounce it. So just call me Harry because I look like Harry Potter. Now, he didn't look like Harry Potter. (laughs) It was Vietnamese for a start. And I've seen Harry Potter quite a few times. And as far as I can tell, Daniel Radcliffe is not even marginally Vietnamese. I don't even think... There's anyone in the entire history of his family that is Vietnamese. But Quan was Vietnamese and decided we should call him Harry Potter. And the reason that we should call him Harry Potter is that he wore glasses. Now, I was wearing glasses and Quan just had regular little glasses on that were sort of frameless almost. I was wearing glasses that looked so much like Harry Potter that if anyone should be getting called Harry Potter, it should have been me. Leaving out the fact that out of everyone on that bus, I was the only magician. (laughs) But nevertheless, Quan decided we should all call him Harry Potter, or Harry for short. So we did. We all called him Harry, and that was that for the rest of the day. Um, I learned how to say uh, thank you in Vietnamese is come on. Come on. It sounds like you're saying come on in an Australian or maybe a South African accent. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Sounds like that, doesn't it? Anyway, so that's thank you in Vietnamese. So the driver was called Mr. Dewey, and he spelled it out. He said D-U-I. Now, Americans will find that funny already, that the driver's first name was spelled D-U-I, because that is, of course, an offence everywhere. But in England, I mean, in England, we call it drink driving. But in America, they call it drunk in charge. So D-U-I. Anyway, that was his name. So I thought that was funny and worrying. But, you know, it was only uh, eight o'clock in the morning. So I figured our driver couldn't have had too much to drink yet. But the drive home might potentially be a little bit spicy. The thing Sarah and I were most looking forward to trying was the beef noodles. So beef noodles, a few other things in a sort of broth, and it is spelt P-H-O, P-H-O. Now, we thought it was pronounced pho, P-H-O, pho. It's actually pronounced pho, pho. Can I have a bowl of pho, please? Come on. If you pronounce it pho... Well, if you pronounce it pho, it means uh, beef noodles in broth. If you pronounce it pho, it means prostitute. (laughs) Which is an ordering mistake that you only make once, believe it or not. If you want beef noodle soup and a prostitute turns up, what do you do? Do you lean over and say, hi, uh, I appear to have this lady with me. Can I have two pho? please. And then they misunderstand you again. And before you know it, you've got two prostitutes. (laughs) So you think this is getting expensive, but I need to feed these two. Give me three foe. (laughs) One, two, three foe. Give me three foe. And before you know it, you've got three prostitutes and you can't afford to buy them any soup. So you just walk off. So pronouncing it wrong is very awkward um, and you don't want to order a prostitute. And then the very next thing that he said to us is when you're traveling around Vietnam, the only um, the only thing you need to watch out for is making sure you get into a real taxi. The real taxis have always got advertising on the sides and the fake taxis don't have advertising on the sides. So beware of the fake taxi. Now... <laughs> Any perverts among you will know that fake taxi is a very popular genre of pornography where obviously it's set up. But, you know, you see a guy driving. I mean, there is ones where a woman's driving and they have a male passenger or sometimes a female passenger. But almost always it's a man driving. It's always the same guy with the same accent. All right, love, where you going? He's got like a Cockney accent. Anyway, um, 
it's a fake taxi and the woman gets in the back and she, he says where are you going and she says oh going to this thing um i've just you know left my, my boyfriend's just cheated on me and the taxi driver says god who would cheat on you and she says what do you mean and he goes well you're gorgeous aren't you she goes you're really thinking he's like yeah i would i'd give anything for a bit of that and she goes well, why don't you and he goes what you want me to park up and she so i've heard by the way <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> oh anyway then they come to some sort of negotiation about how she's going to pay for the ride the taxi ride that is oh god fake taxi explained i'm typing this in my notes so i've heard just remember that because that was funny uh anyway so um the woman gets in the back and then before you know it they're banging in the back of the taxi and then he drops her off and that's the end of the episode and so um he said beware of the fake taxi and i thought well i mean i know what the logo looks like so i'll be okay anyway then the guy's telling us, Quan, or Harry Potter, is telling us about the Vietnam Vietnam War, of course, which is interesting because they don't refer it to it as the Vietnam War. They call it the American Occupation. So there's a start. That's already a twist. You've only ever, in your whole life, if you're from the West, you've only ever heard it described as the Vietnam War. You've never heard it described as the American Occupation of Vietnam, really. So that was already strange. And then it turns out that, you know, America were trying to stop Vietnam from being communist, among other things. And Vietnam actually quite like being communist. And they like it so much that they're communist now. So it didn't really make a lot of difference. But they also talk about very sad things like uh, this chemical that they used called Asian Orange, this chemical. And they infected all these people with it. And even now, the... Um, relatives of people you know the children and grandchildren of people who were there are still suffering from cancers and stuff that they were given because of this asian orange chemical so that's how he described it to me anyway it's just really interesting and i don't want to rewrite history and i'll be honest of all the things in the world vietnam war or the american occupation of vietnam is not something i really know anything about or understand at all i mean i've seen Forrest Gump, and I've seen, you know, Platoon and all that. I've seen Full Metal Jacket. I've seen movies that are kind of based in this thing, but I don't really know a lot about the sort of political motivation of it. So I should probably look that up. And you know what? I'm going to pause now and do it. Hang on. No, I'm not going to pause because this will annoy Sarah more. Vietnam War Wiki. It'll be in the top bit, won't it? It'll be right there. It'll say... The Vietnam War was a conflict in Vietnam and Cambodia <clears throat> to the fall of Saigon in 1975. So it started in 1955, ended in 1975. See, already I didn't know that. That's 20 years. The second of the Indochina Wars and was a major conflict of the Cold War. While the war was officially fought between North Vietnam and South Vietnam, the North was supported by the Soviet Union, China, and the South was supported by the United States and other anti-communist allies. Okay, so Russia and the north of Vietnam were trying to take communism to the south of Vietnam and the south of Vietnam were trying to stop them with help from the United States. Okay, that already makes sense. Um, following the Gulf blah, 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 the war enacted an enormous human cost. I mean, this is going to be horrible, isn't it? Vietnamese soldiers from one to three million, uh, 300,000 Cambodians, Almost 60,000 Americans. Um, that's just wild, isn't it? So horrible. Here we go. Various names have been applied to the war. These have shifted over time. Although the Vietnam War is the com one most commonly used, it has been variously called the Second Indochina War, uh, the Vietnam Conflict, Nam. Uh, Vietnam is com commonly known as Kang Chien Chong Mai, which is, I've pronounced that really well, by the way, uh, Kang Chien Chong Mai, is the resistance war against America. So there you go. Um, the Vietnamese government officially refers to it as the resistance war against America to save the nation. And it is sometimes called the American war. What's interesting about that is that now Vietnam as a whole 
it started off that North Vietnam and South Vietnam were fighting each other, but now the whole of Vietnam refers to it as the American War, suggesting that the enemy were the Americans, which is a fascinating sort of tale, I guess, about kind of um, what it's like when you interrupt a fight. You know, if, if two couples, if a couple is fighting a out on the street and they're absolutely going at it with each other and you go over and you get involved and you start having it out with a guy and pushing him around what does the woman always end up doing she'll punch you not join in with you against the fella she was arguing with in the first place or if some guy's getting battered by some woman and you go over and you grab her and pull her away from him what's he gonna do he's gonna clamp you isn't he not her it's always the same if two people are arguing and you go over and get involved, you become their common enemy somehow. And that sounds a lot like what's kind of happened here. So if I'm wrong, and you know a lot about this, do let me know. But the people of Vietnam, their opinion of it, and I heard it on the day from Quan, from Harry, uh, but their opinion of it is that they don't like America, they don't like Americans in general, and they certainly blame America for this war, which may or may not be uh, correct. But anyway, it was a fascinating uh, thing, and hearing him talk about it was quite remarkable. I mean, this guy was a young man, you know, he was only in his mid-twenties, so he certainly didn't live through any of it. You know, it finished before 10 years before I was born, but... He obviously will have parents that were there or grandparents and stuff. So very interesting. And then you come to the money, the money in the country. And it really makes no sense at all. I mean, no sense at all. The The figures involved are so, so enormously high that it makes paying for anything very confusing. I took out £40, £40 worth of their currency, which is called Dong, of course, Vietnamese Dong. I took out £40 of their currency, which is like $50. It used to be $80 (laughs) once upon a time, uh, you know, 18 years ago. But things have changed quite a lot in the old uh, financial markets. Anyway, I took out £40 of their money and it was £1 of their currency, one million Vietnamese dong. So for the first time in my whole life, I was instantly a millionaire. And I stood there holding a million Vietnamese dong in my hand, which, you know, is just bizarre. It's so difficult to work out how much things cost because your instincts are getting battered all over the place. You go and see something that you think, oh, that looks nice. And it's 50,000 Vietnamese dong. And you think, oh, 50,000 seems like a lot. But it's like, you know, two quid. And you, I mean, we bought Sarah. I bought Sarah this beautiful jade bracelet, which honestly is so nice. It's like these little jade pearls. And then there's one pearl that's red uh, to break it up. And I saw it and I loved it instantly. There was a few. She liked a couple and I liked a couple. But the one I really settled on was this one. And then Sarah picked that one as well. I don't know whether she picked it because I liked it or because she liked it. But either way, she said, I'll take that one. And when I worked out how much it had cost later, it was like 67p or something. It's honestly so nice. It's ridiculous. Um, But it was less than a pound. So it just seems crazy to me. A million dong. I mean, God. Anyway, we took our dong uh, and I took both of my dongs into, well, I had a million. Technically, I had a million and one at this point because I hadn't spent anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was carrying one around before I went to the cash machine. Anyway, I t- my, one of my dong was tucked away safely, and the rest of my dong were in my pocket. The other dong could be felt through my pocket, but let's not get into that. So I'm walking around with a, a really a big, big amount of dong. I've got so much dong in my pants. I'm walk- <laughs> walking around, and we go to the market, and the market is the most frighteningly aggressive situation I think I've ever been in in my whole life. It was honestly horrible. Sarah hated it. I hated it. Although I started to find it quite funny after a very short amount of time. But think about it like everything's in rows, of course. You know, like New York City, everything's in rows from above. But if you think about skyscrapers and stuff in New York and blocks, you know, every, well, I mean, a lot of America is like this. But if you think about things in blocks, that's what the market is like inside. But every person on every stall, on every corner is aggressively trying to get you to sit down and eat at their place. 
I mean, they're shouting at you, they're grabbing hold of you, they're trying to physically put you in a seat. When someone does manage to wrestle you into a seat, somebody in another restaurant is trying to wrestle you out of it and put in put you into one of theirs. It was just unbelievable. It was quite terrifying. The amount of people that were like grabbing hold of you and trying to get you to sit down. I get that the competition is heavy, but Jesus Christ. And what's funny is, I'm just going to drink the last bit of my tea. What's funny is that if they knew anything about British people and if they knew that a large portion of the people walking around that market that day by virtue of the fact that there were two British cruise ships in, if they knew anything about us, they would know that the last thing in the world British people want is to be asked what they want before they've had proper time to look at the thing. I absolutely hate, you know, when you walk into a place and you've literally just walked in and you're clearly staring at the menu and you're trying your best to ignore the person behind the counter because when you're ready to talk to them, you look up and say, hi, mate, and then you begin. But you walk in and they go, hi, mate, how can I help you? What can I get for you? And it's like, I don't know. I've just walked in. I don't even know what this is. Give me two minutes to read this menu. All right, no problem. I mean, I can recommend. No, I don't want you to recommend stuff. I just want to read this thing. We sell a lot of... Nope, don't do that either. Do you know that? You know they're like butting in like that? My dog's fucking barking at someone. Doc, what's wrong with you? Shut up, man. Chill out. Doc's taking a sitting on the windowsill above the radiator. I think he likes the warmth. But he's doing a bit of growling. Anyway, um... Yeah, they, I don't like it when they offer you help too early. And then when you say, oh, I'm just going to read this menu, they start to try and recommend stuff. It's like, you, honestly, just leave me alone. If you just leave me alone, I'll get through this much quicker and I'll order in a sec. I've walked in, so I'm going to order something. God, the only thing I could bear less than um, going in and just and ordering the wrong thing is going in and just leaving without saying anything. Oh, that really is British. I couldn't bear it. Anyway, so we finally sit down and... Um, we try some pho. We do not try pho because uh, from what I could tell, there weren't any kicking around. But, you know, I don't think Sarah would have enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't know. I would have enjoyed it if they were as aggressive as the people trying to get me to sell the food. Jesus, uh, to buy the food. Anyway, so we tried pho, not pho. And at last, we found deep joy because it was delicious. I mean, the food was absolutely Amazing, first class, delicious, amazing food. We were both incredibly, incredibly happy. We sat there for a good few minutes, tried the pho. Uh, we had two different bowls, one with shrimp and one with uh, chicken and beef, and it was fantastic. And then we started to have to go sort of back to the bus, you know, started having to navigate around town to make sure we didn't miss the bus. So we went to the shopping centre because we were too hot and we were too fed up and we were too sick of people shouting at us. So we thought we'd go to a bit more of an upscale shop shopping centre and get some Wi-Fi and do the little jobs we had to do, emails and stuff. So we went to this thing, Highlands Coffee, which had been recommended to us. You know what? It was perfectly nice. I don't know what milk they used over there, but it was, it had a slight different flavour, but it was a very good latte. It was as good as anything I've had anywhere else. And I thought, yeah, if I lived in Vietnam, I think I would, I think I would have this. The only reason I say I don't know what milk they used is that there were a, quite a lot of different milk options on the menu, which is not something I've really seen. Normally, you just get the milk you're given unless you specifically ask for oat milk or nut milk or Alpro or something like that. On this menu, the milk choices were almost as much as the coffee choices, is like the combinations of which coffee and which milk. So I just said, oh, someone's knocking at my door. Hold on. Hello, I'm back. All right, so there's a brief pause then. Actually, it was about 15 minutes while I went to the door and uh, collected a parcel. I've been waiting for a parcel from Vienna. I don't know if I told you this, but I bought Sarah. Now, as it turns out, she's not the biggest fan of it in the whole world. But some of it came out of a bit of a misunderstanding. <laughs> Sarah really hates expensive things. She doesn't hate expensive things. She hates things if they, if she doesn't believe that the value matches up to the price. So she loves uh, the Tudor watch, for instance, that she's wearing right now, the Black Bay. She loves the Speedmaster. Both of those watches are, you know, in the sort of 
thousands of pounds range. I mean, I don't even know what the range is right now. I know the Speedmaster, when I bought it, was £3,750. I think the Tudor is somewhere in the region of three, three and a half thousand pounds as well. She likes those because she has a really good sense of the perceived value of those items. But then other stuff she often thinks is overpriced. And you know what? She might well be right. She's she's got a fair value, a fair sense of what value is. So she may well be right. I, however, as well you know, uh, waste money like there's no tomorrow. So I decided that even though Sarah and I weren't doing Christmas presents because we were going to Singapore and all that sort of stuff, that I would get her a new diary. I'd seen these diaries getting advertised all the time on Instagram from a company called Paper Republic. And Paper Republic make those diaries. You know, it's like a nice leather outside sleeve. It's basically a single cut piece of leather folded over. And then it has like a ribbon attached through it or like a, a you know, a stretchy string thing. And you can get it um, monogrammed on the front and have it filled in with colour if you want to. But essentially, it's one of those diaries. And then inside, you can have books like drawing books, lined paper books, a diary, all sorts of different inserts that fit your life. And then there's kind of like a paper insert that you can use to keep bits and bobs in there as well. And over time, of course, they patina and they loosen up and they grow a little bit and, you know, they kind of grow with you. I... I was infatuated by these things. I love them. And I thought that because it was going to be a new year and because it was going to be a sort of new start in some senses, you know, Sarah had just been told that she's going to be fine now and that she got the all clear and all that sort of stuff. I just figured my my vibe behind it was it's a new year. You've been given your life back health wise. Take this and go plan it. You know, like I thought it was a nice thing. Um, Sarah did not agree with me because she thought that it cost well over £100. And that was my fault. And actually, if it did cost over £100, she'd have been well within her rights to think that it was a stupid purchase. These things can cost well over £100. But I got a deal for a start. I think it was £80 and I got 30% off in their deal. And you know, all of the different bits, it ended up more like 60 quid with the extras that I bought on top of it. So I gave her this diary, but because she thought it was so expensive, she was a bit pissed off. And she's already got a diary just like that, that she's already using, which I don't think is as nice, but you know, she's already filled it in. So it is what it is. Maybe she'll save it and it'll patina in the drawer until next year. I don't know. But anyway, I decided I wanted one of these as well. I told her that at the time. She's like, I can't believe you've got this. And I said, I'm going to get another one for me. I just haven't bought it yet. And so anyway, I did. I bought it. It was about three weeks ago. And it's taken what feels like forever to come. But it has finally arrived today. And mine is like a greenish teal kind of colour with an orange monogram of my name on the front and an orange ribbon around it. And I just got the plain and line notebooks I didn't get uh, a diary or anything and it's in it and I absolutely just love it now I got an even better deal because they were still doing the bundle deal three weeks ago like a Christmas bundle deal when I ordered mine might be slightly less than three weeks because it was I ordered it while we were away on the ship so it must have been before the 3rd of January. But anyway, there was a bundle deal, but I also got an extra 10% off because I'd bought Sarah's one. So for, you know, it was like a return customer discount. So I used the discount that I got from the one I'd bought for Sarah. And I added that on top of the bundle deal, honestly not expecting it to work, but it did work. Sorry, I'm choking on my Pepsi Max, uh, but it did work. So I've got one as well. And it finally arrived today. And I love it. So that was what was at the door. Anyway, so um, we get back to the bus in Vietnam after exploring, eating all the delicious food, going to the shopping centre, getting coffee, free Wi-Fi, all of those things, taking some fantastic pictures. And uh, we head back to the coach. And once on the coach, uh, Harry Potter decides to sing for us. He says, what you might not know is that Vietnamese people absolutely love to sing. We love karaoke. So I'm going to sing for you. <laughs> and it was exactly what you might think. It was kind of a weird moment where he decided he was going to sing. And then out of nowhere, he's, he goes to sing and then he goes, ah, and then he stops instantly and said, mm, let me just get myself ready. <laughs> and he does that a bit. He does a bit of like coughing and getting his throat ready. And then all of a sudden, I'm not going to do an impression of him. Don't worry. Although I'll, I'll, I maintain that doing an impression 
of that particular man and impersonating his voice would not be the same as doing a generic, cliched impression of someone who may or may not be from Vietnam. (laughs) We've talked about this before, haven't we? If you're telling a story, you can't just do a Chinese accent or you can't just do an Indian accent. It's definitely not okay. Although, weirdly, it does seem to be okay to do an Italian accent or, you know, an Irish accent or a Scottish accent. But a Chinese accent, Korean, Vietnamese, Indian, anything that's just a bit more Eastern, that does not appear to be societally allowed. But... If a celebrity is Korean or Vietnamese or Chinese or Japanese or anywhere that's Eastern or India, how do impressionists do an impression of that person without also putting on one of those accents? Answers on a postcard, please. But anyway, so I'm not going to impersonate him. But if you imagine also that he was Vietnamese and not very good at singing, it does make it funnier. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no one can take that away. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he starts going... He's a, I, I say out of nowhere. He's announced he's going to sing. But then he takes a good pause and comes back in. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do ya? And a giggle goes around the bus. It's not a mocking giggle, though. It's an excited giggle. It's a special moment. Nobody is taking the piss out of this guy. We fucking love him. We love him because he's been our tour guide on the bus for two hours on the way to Vietnam. He's got us safely back onto the air-conditioned bus to go back two hours, and he's a really nice fella. He did the same thing that Matista did. He came up and down the bus once he'd done his talk, and he asked you... What's your plan for the day then? And then you told him your plan and he helped you finesse the plan with some good local information. He was a really nice guy. But, you know, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor chord and the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah. And then all of a sudden, the whole boss in unison Together with him. Hallelujah. Not me, though. I'm laughing too much. Hallelujah. Then I try to get involved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he made the decision that Adele impersonators very rarely make, which is to take the high road when the low road is available. Rather than giving it the hallelujah, he goes... Hallelujah. <laughs> we all do. Hallelujah. We don't know it's going to happen yet. Hallelujah. He takes a deep breath. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> he gives it one of them. I'm not kidding. The atmosphere on the bus is absolutely electric. It's phenomenal. I can't believe it. I caught a video of the whole thing. I don't still have it, but I've sent it to Sarah. I'll have to get it to send it back to me so I can post it on Instagram. It was honestly, it was remarkable. It was an electric atmosphere. I'd have paid to see that guy sing on that bus quicker than I'd have paid to see Adele. Honestly, I loved it so much. Everybody loved it. And then he finished and the applause was remarkable. It was the loudest applause I'd heard that week, which was a bit upsetting, considering I'd done three shows. <laughs> anyway, so we go back to the bus, and all the work is done now, and Sarah and I are fully on holiday. She's been on holiday already for the first part of the week, but now I'm majorly on holiday as well. So I'm talking, when are we going to the buffet? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink tonight? Let's hit some cocktails. Let's just get absolutely all over it and crush. Let's crush this town. Fuck these fucking shit cocktails, as Sarah opined once. So we did. We absolutely crushed the food. We had loads of drinks. Had an absolutely boss night. Then the next day, we're back to sea days. Now, I'm probably not going to finish talking about the cruise in this podcast. 
<laughs> as it goes. Um, but because, you know, as always, I've done the beginning 15, 20 minutes and then I've started talking about the thing. So it just spans it out more and more. But the good news is that does, of course, mean there's guaranteed to be a podcast next Wednesday. But anyway, let me tell you about the sea day. So sea day, I wake up, but I have a big lie in. And Sarah and I had kind of got into a rhythm where on the days that we were on tours, for whatever reason, I would wake up at like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and get out of bed and go up and have some breakfast and generally watch the sunrise from super, super early. But on the days we were at sea, I would sleep like there was no tomorrow. So sea days, I was sleeping till 11 o'clock in the morning usually. And Sarah would get up, usually go for breakfast. She didn't go for breakfast on days. We kind of tag-teamed the breakfast. Um, she would get up early, go and get tea or coffee, have breakfast or whatever. Maybe a little sit in the sun. And then on this day, she came back to the room at 11, expecting me to be up. But I wasn't up. I think she probably came back to the room at about half nine. Expected me to be up, but I wasn't. So she got in bed in the dark and then she went to sleep as well. And then we both woke up after 11. But unfortunately, there wasn't much to go outside for because it was absolutely pissing down and it rained like, I mean, honestly, the rain just obliterated the place. It rained almost the entire day. I don't think we saw sun again until the morning that we're flying home because the next day in Singapore, it just rained constantly as well. So the sun was just absolutely over. It was pissing down with rain. So obviously we had to spend most of the time inside. We went and got some nice drinks from the coffee port, which was pretty good. Uh, we drank more cocktails. We had the buffet and stuff. It was... Um, it was good. And we'd planned on that night to go to the tapas place on the ship. Now, the ship has got some sort of... They're not even... Well, actually, there are some concession restaurants. Obviously, everybody is full board. You know, all food is included. But not all food everywhere is included. So you've got the buffet restaurant and you've got four restaurants that are uh, a la carte. You know, you go up and you order what you want. The waiter comes to the table. But then there are also two or three separate restaurants that are just more expensive but you actually have to pay so there's like a sushi place there's a steak place but they all require you to pay for the meal while you're on there you don't get it included as part of the thing but one of the ones that is included is a tapas place so sarah decided we should go there on the night now on the last cruise sarah and i were on together we did go to the tapas place and we absolutely loved it so i was well keen to go again i really wanted to go to the tapas place again but in between those two things there was more stuff to do. There was going to be a quiz on, and it was the cruise's hardest quiz, all right? The hardest quiz on the cruise. It was 20 questions, and to be fair, it was a hard quiz. Every other quiz that week, I think we were getting like 19s out of 20 and stuff. It was pretty easy, but the hardest quiz on the cruise was um, very difficult. And I think out of 20, we got 11. And it was really annoying because the people who won it were a table of about eight people and they got 12. They only beat us by one and there was six more of them than there was me and Sarah. And had we gone to the tie break, we'd have almost certainly won. There was one question as well that we really knew the answer. Oh, I'll tell you what it was. It was a Shakespeare thing. It was something about a quote from Shakespeare, a play. Who wrote that play with this quote in? And... I said, um, oh, what's his name? I said the guy who wrote Waiting for Godot. I can't remember his name now. It's gone out of my head. Is it Samuel something? Waiting for Godot. Written by Samuel Beckett. Uh, I said it was Samuel Beckett. Funny that I could remember his name then. I can't remember it now. Anyway, it turned out that it was William Shakespeare. And when I heard the quote back again, Sarah and I both just went, well, of course, of course it was William Shakespeare. And had we have got that answer, we'd have been in a tiebreak situation. And the reason I think we would have won is that the tiebreak question was how many times in the song Love Shack by the B-52s do they say the word Love Shack? 
And I sang the song in my head there and then before we wrote down an answer. Because, like, I've never seen on a quiz before. Usually they only pull out the tiebreak question. When they're down in the tiebreak situation, they call two people up or three people up or however many teams have tied. And they give the question and then all three people have to give their answers. In this quiz, you had to write your answer down. as a, it, There was like a little section, tiebreak answer. And you had to write it down before you even found yourself in a tiebreak situation. That was quite strange. Anyway... I sang the song very quickly in my head, right up to the end of the first chorus. I made a couple of guesses and I thought, I reckon it's 46. I I really believe it's 46 times they say the word love shack in the song. Love shack. Sarah was happy to go along with it. So we wrote down 46. Then when the tiebreak answer came, it was um, 48. So we're off by two. We'd have easily, easily... Um, won that. There's no way those other people were guessing as close as we were to be two off. So that was a bit of a shame because we could have won that quiz. And God, would I have been thrilled to have won the hardest quiz on the cruise? That would have been amazing. Uh, As well as just hanging out on the ship, Sarah really surprised me with some drawing. She'd started drawing again. She bought this little notepad and pencils and stuff. She started sketching. And you know what? Honestly, her sketches are so good. She always surprises me with this because every time we need anything making artistically that involves physical making, like, I mean, she'd be great at Photoshop and stuff if she just knew how to do it. She doesn't know the buttons or anything. But if she actually learned it, I reckon she'd be great. But I'm good at designing stuff on Photoshop and digitally, but I cannot draw. Whereas Sarah is actually a great drawer. Years ago, she made this replica of like the Goonies map. And over time... So many times in the time we've been together, I've seen her just absolutely come up trumps and make great stuff when we've needed something physical making. And this drawing pad is no exception. She drew, sketched a great picture of um, the three of us. She sketched a great picture of Joshua looking at the dog, you know, from photographs she had in her phone. Uh, She drew loads of different things. And honestly, her drawings are so good. I hope she keeps it up and I hope she draws more and more things because she seemed to really enjoy it. And it was nice. And then we went in the hot tubs again, like we had done most nights. And we waited a bit too long in the hot tubs before we went back to the room. Because we were going to the tapas place. But I didn't realise that the tapas place had a cut-off for when the last let you sit down. Because I knew where we needed to be after the tapas place, because we were going to watch the Broadway show. But I didn't... and And so I was thinking, well, the Broadway show starts at half eight. So as long as we're in the tapas place... You know, by seven, we can go and sit and have ages and all that. So we get there at like five past ten past seven. I didn't realise that the last entry was seven o'clock. So we missed it by just shy of ten minutes. And they wouldn't, there was a couple in front of us as well. And they wouldn't let them in. So we didn't even get in the conversation because they were kicking off. They're having a bit of a row. And we knew we weren't going to let in. So we just turned around and went back to the buffet. So we missed the tapas place. And it was absolutely 100% unquestionably my fault. I fucked it up. And, you know, that happens a lot. (laughs) There are often things that happen in this life that turn out to be my fault, and that was one of them. But we watched the Broadway show, which was spectacular, and we had more cocktails again, and that brings us to the end of that day. There are two days left to talk about. There is Singapore overnighting, which is very exciting, and then there's the day that we flew home from Singapore. I'm going to leave those till next week, and I'm going to finish by telling you about things that happened in this week, which are that I recorded a podcast for Alakazam Magic. Alakazam are starting quite an exciting new thing. I can't tell you about it because they haven't told the world about it, but they're starting quite an exciting new thing that's going to be part of their website and I think will be great. But as part of that, they've also launched a podcast. And so they're asking people, it's called Desert Island Tricks. And of course, they're asking people what eight tricks they would take to a desert island. And then the favorite book and all of this sort of stuff. And I was a guest on it. And mine had to be split into two episodes because I talked for so long that one episode would not contain me. So I'm the only person who's got a two episode version. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's because I do this. I'm used to talking nonstop without anyone interrupting. So I recorded the um, Alakazam podcast. I also did the session this weekend, which was spectacular. And I think I'll kick that over into next week and talk to you all about it fully because there's quite a lot to say. Um, I built some shelves in the living room once the Christmas tree came down and 
had a haircut, which I do every week, unblocked the toilet, did loads of jobs, little bits and bobs and tasks, and, you know, the rest of the week has been all right. few exciting projects coming up. There's one that's to do with a cruise ship and a little bit to do with my favourite venue in the world to perform in, and that's a collaboration that's happening. I mean, it's not unpublic. There's a, there's a public notified now collaboration between Princess Cruises and the Magic Castle, and that collaboration of those two things is looking like it will benefit me and change our lives in a potentially significant way. So that's exciting. Um, it looks like I'm on the very front edge of something there. So we'll see what happens and I'll keep you updated. I can't really say more about it, but I will when I can. And uh, yeah, that's it, I guess. So next week when we come back, I will talk about overnighting in Singapore uh, flying home from Singapore, everything that's happened in the week between now and then, and also uh, the session magic convention, which I'm going to take notes on now so that I've got them ready for next week because I haven't done it already. So there you go, friends. That's this week's podcast. I think it was just over an hour or almost an exact hour. So look at that. We keep moving forward to 17th of January. Next time I speak to you, it'll be almost the end of the month. What a wild time. It's flying by, isn't it? All right, friends, much love. You're all fantastic, and I'll speak to you next week. Have a great time until then. Bye, friends.